0: I'm Larry Bishop and you're listening to the World Is Wrong podcast.
1: We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about you. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> Wolf. <laughs> I'm the Wolf Man! Wolf Man Jack!
2: Welcome to The World Is Wrong. An extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andros Jones.
3: And my name is Brian Connolly, and I'm also a co-host host host (laughs) with The Most.
2: Uh, Is that Jack Nicholson, or is that Wolfman (laughs) Jack?
3: (laughs) That's my Jack Nicholson as a Wolfman.
2: Yeah, we we are now, we are entering the spooky month of wrongtober <laughs> where we look at films that are horror films that are not horror films or films that are not horror films that are horror films if you're feeling confused and scared <laughs> that's because it's wrongtober <laughs> I love it. (laughs) We are digging into Wolf from 1994, a uh, oft-maligned film. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is my choice, so you know I love it. Before we get into playing (laughs) a clip and talking about it, you want have any first impressions you want to share, Brian?
3: Um, no. I was just really excited you picked this because I love this movie. My i rented it when it came out uh watched it with my family loved it back then and it was one of those movies that i really liked and i didn't know anyone else (laughs) did uh but no and it was great and and i haven't seen it since i first saw it so revisiting it as a grown-up i liked it even more i in fact i would say i loved it i (laughs) like i love this movie
2: Wow. OK, well, great. This is going to be a this is going to be a love fest for uh, for a, a not much loved film. So it's how odd is it that we both we have these strange tastes? It's almost as if we were bitten by a videotape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK, well, let's go to let's go to the clip and then I'll tell you about this film. There might be spoilers There might be spoilers There might be spoilers Will,
0: I was just about to come see you Tell you I talked to Alden about the senior consultant position It's yours if you want it Plus pay, of course So is Eastern Europe Well, thank you, Stuart, but I've had a better offer Really? It's wonderful. What house? This one. I don't, I, I don't understand. It's fairly simple. I did the same thing you did. I nagged Alden until he gave me your job. When? I don't understand. When? In my spare time. I've had a lot of it lately. Well. Hey. I, I guess, uh, I mean, I. I guess I owe you some congratulations. I guess the best man won. Shit, I'm glad in a way. I mean, I couldn't have given it up and I didn't like the way I got it. I hope we can work together without rancor. You're fired, Stuart. Best for the firm. Give me a few months, let me say I quit. Now, It wouldn't be best for the firm. You vindictive son of a bitch. The best thing for the firm is me. I'm the best thing this firm has, and you fucking know it. This is fucking ribbit. Are you crazy? No. I'm just marking my territory. You got in the way. Nice. Real nice. Sweet shoes.
3: To me, that scene of him being (laughs) on James Spader is the the most memorable scene in the movie. Like I've thought about that scene every day for the last 30-whatever
2: years
1: since I saw this movie.
2: (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. So uh, let me tell you about this film, Brian, and listeners. Mike Nichols and Jack Nicholson collaborated on four, count them, four films together. Carnal Knowledge from 1971, based upon a screenplay by Jules Pfeiffer, actually did a lot more to establish Nicholson as a movie star than it usually gets credit for these days. 1975's The Fortune with Warren Beatty and Stalker Channing and 1986's Heartburn with Meryl Streep are, like carnal knowledge, explorations of what we would now call toxic masculinity. Very... Forwardly so. Wolf from 1994 embraces this toxicity in the form of a wolf bite in a horror film that doesn't seem to be that interested in scaring us. Nicholson uses his soft spoken Rudyard Kipling voice to great effect as the weakening editor at a New York publishing house who gets bitten by a wolf and. Yada, yada, yada. It's a werewolf movie with some <laughs> amazing scenes and some great actors in some really elegant lighting. The The cast, you got Michelle Pfeiffer, Christopher Plummer, Kate Nelligan, David Hyde Pierce, Richard Jenkins, like early Allison Janney, very early David Schwimmer and Peter Garrity in small roles. You've even got Prunella Scales from Faulty Towers in this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. But the standout is James fucking Spader as (laughs) Nicholson's weaselly protege. I mean, the movie kicks into a whole other gear once he starts displaying his own lupine tendencies. And in some ways, you could almost see the Spader character as a stand-in for Jack Nicholson's self-justifying sexual predator in carnal knowledge. They are both these very uh, weaselly guys you can't take your eyes off of, but Spader's performance is just so much more fun than uh, even than Nicholson's. Well, Nicholson's and carnal knowledge isn't even really fun, but Spader in this is. He, he has a scene with Michelle Pfeiffer that reaches this <laughs> pinnacle of genuine absurdity that, it to me, is worthy of the best of Mike Nichols and Elaine May. And Elaine May is credited... Uh, well, she's credited by some sources as an uncredited writer on the film. And we also have Ennio Morricone doing the score and Rick Baker doing the monster effects. So while Wolf may not be a very scary horror film or a funny comedy or even a satisfying drama, if you need a box to put it in, maybe it's best to think of Wolf as the completion of the exploration of territorial men that Nichols and Nicholson began in 1971 and of those four, I think it's probably my favorite. Wow. Although <laughs> The Fortune definitely has some some, some high points. I <laughs> have just rewatched it today. That is a crazy movie, and Stalker Channing is amazing. <laughs> I think that's a movie we may have to say for
3: a yet another episode, because that's yeah. one that, if I may interject for a second, that movie's never been released on DVD. Like, you have to watch it... On VHS, if you can't find it, you know, by nefarious means on the internet, um, but I, I love that movie. It's basically, if for people who don't know what it is, it's as if Warren Beatty and Jack Nicholson were wed shoehorned into like a Laurel and Hardy movie, kind of. It's very weird. A very it's, mean. It's a very mean. A very thing.
2: mean Laurel and um, Hardy movie. Yeah,
3: a very mean. But it has this weird sense of slapstick. This they're almost like a weird version of a comedy team. Uh, it's no wonder that it's one of the Coen brothers' favorite movies because it has. It touches kind of. It feels sort of like oh, the yeah. Co- Coen brothers in a way. If you can find the fortune, seek it out, and then maybe in a year we'll do that. We'll do another Mike Nichols. Uh, jack nicholson because that movie's crazy anyways i, I yeah I, Well, i but <laughs> not I, I i i had hit
2: the end of my expl- of my explanation of this film such as it is and just sort of how i'd like to approach it uh <laughs> so so how is the world wrong about wolf well well i think mostly as i said i think it's mostly that people are looking for it to be a film that it's not even trying to be so, you know, that's a lot of time what will we come up against in this world is wrong. Exploration of film is that if you're looking for one kind of film and it's not there, it's like the the horrible Roger Ebert line about mad dog time, it, mad dog time. It's like waiting for a bus in a city that doesn't have a bus line. Well, <laughs> that's on you, you know, <laughs> That's not like get a bicycle in this town and you'll fucking love it. You know. <laughs> so like so like the criticisms of this film is that it's a really bad horror film. Well, it's not a horror film. It's a character study of a guy becoming a wolf. So, yeah. yeah. OK, given. OK. And, you know, and I know it. it's sort of adver- it's not your fault. It kind of advertised itself as that. But it's not. Yeah.
3: I think, and I think that I remember, and I still like talking to people about it. At the video store. I think it was sort of the ads and the trailers. A lot of people didn't even give this a chance, or just sort of like, why would I watch this dopey '90s movie where Jack Nicholson is the Wolf Man? Like, what, what is this? And a lot of people kind of talk of it in Mike Nichols' filmography as being like, oh, this is him slumming it. This is him like totally crashing and burning and selling out and making some crap with this good actor that he had made other great movies with. And why are they? making this doo-doo and <laughs> those people clearly haven't watched this movie or they came in expecting doo-doo and this couldn't change their mind couldn't get out of it because like when you watch this movie it's a brilliant comedy i think this movie is so
2: funny intentionally which makes well, that, sense okay. if, if
3: elaine may helped write yeah. it then that makes
2: sense well that's the thing that's the other thing is that people so many uh, reviews talk about how this film isn't funny enough to be a satire. And it's just like, no, Wrong. the satire <laughs> is going over your head. You are looking, it's like, if you're looking for jokes, then, and that's your idea of comedy. It's sort of like, the, I, I was thinking a lot about the difference between this and American Werewolf in London. Whereas like, like I feel like American Werewolf in London is much more of a horror movie. Definitely. And it's much more of a joke comedy yes. <laughs> that this is not like that's not what mike nichols or uh, nichols and may ever did it yeah. was always humor arising from the absurdity of situations a lot of times where sex is the subtext but you're not actually saying it mm-hmm. so it's kind of like that lubish thing too but like an up updated version of it and that's the thing is like this film su- has such a sense of humor radiating through the whole film that you could <laughs> think that it's not funny because at no point, and this is the Mike Nichols thing, Mike Nichols thing. There's no point at which he's like, but I'm bump. See, it's a joke. It's like, no, we're just gonna just keep going where the movie's just going to keep happening. And it's absurd. And it's kind of true of all of all of his films. Like the graduate has that and even, and closer has that. Uh, that's another one of my uh, one of his films that I love. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf has it all through it. That it's a that's a really funny movie with no jokes and it's also really tragic and sad, but it never loses that sense of humor. And also enjoying playing with sexual symbolism without actually saying it. And this film just lends itself to all of that. Yeah. Do you know what I do you know what I meant when I referred to Nicholson's Rudyard Kipling voice? No, I'm curious
3: because I don't know what he sounds like. It's well, it's not. What, it's is so, it like
2: what What do you mean by that? So it's not that he's sounding like Rudyard Kipling. I knew that would be an inside reference. It was at the around this time and earlier. Nicholson was recording, uh, reading Rudyard Kipling stories. For I think it was for Wyndham Hill Records, or it was like there was a whole t- there was a whole series, <laughs> and I was too old to enjoy them as a kid. But I was as an actor, I was really really excited to listen to these great actors do these stories. And Nicholson did several of the Rudyard Kipling stories with Bobby McFerrin doing the music. Oh, wow. And if you look for them, the they did they animated them, and they're beautiful. And (laughs) Nicholson's, like after you hear that, it's sort of like the purest dose. You know, like you put maple syrup on your pancakes, but if you ever just take a swig (laughs) from the jug of maple syrup, that's so like pure (laughs) Nicholson.
0: In the high and far off times, the elephant, oh, best beloved, had no trunk. He had only a blackish, bulgy nose as big as a boot that he could wriggle about from side to side, but he couldn't pick up things with it.
2: And <laughs> throughout this movie, he's like, he's never, he never explodes. He never does the Nicholson explosion thing. It's mm-hmm. all like when he gets powerful, he gets quieter. Mm-hmm. But Nicholson quiet is poetic, is lyrical is seductive but not not that leering seductive thing that again it almost feels like James Spader Mike Nicholson is almost saying hey do like do your version of Jack's overacting thing because he's (laughs) underacting in this do the Jack Nicholson thing and he's not and he's that's why James Spader is so much better than like a Christian Slater like would (laughs) <laughs> when you tell him to do a Jack Nicholson, he doesn't do an impression, no offense <laughs> to your impression earlier. but he does a, he turn he knows how to turn it up to that other level of absurdity that Nicholson's doing in the fortune. And I think also to some degree in carnal knowledge, um not so much in heartburn. but, uh, yeah, so so and so the way the world is wrong about this movie is wanting it to be a horror film when it's not and not getting how goddamn funny everything is in this movie, but also (laughs) real. Like it's not like there's a lot of ugly, intense stuff in this movie. There's a, you know, James Spader at the end, you know, spoiler alerts uh, all throughout this, but James Spader's basically trying to rape Michelle Pfeiffer as a wolf. And those scenes are both horrific and also ludicrous. It's it's such a fine balance. And in this movie, maybe it doesn't work for most people, but I feel like it's the same fine balance that he gets in some of my favorite films of his, like I said, like The Graduate or Closer, uh, to bookend his career. So, yeah. So that's how I think the world is wrong about this movie. Now, Brian, it's your turn. What do you think about this film? <laughs> I just love it. It's just it's so it's so sexual
3: like you have 3 like you you're all your lead actors. Like just like the fact that you have scenes with Jack Nicholson who is like James Spader and Christopher Plummer. Like those guys just like sweat sex. <laughs> those guys are just and it's like and it's something always kind of kind of sleazy. About these guys and to put like not in real life maybe in real life but like in as actors like in the roles they play they're always so good at playing sleaze bags and this putting all of them together in this and they're all kind of smirking and they're all kind of doing their kind of gross dude thing <laughs> I love it it's great and then putting Michelle Pfeiffer kind of in there and this is like post her doing Catwoman like you have all these people just dripping with like sex and sexuality. And so it's, it just, I, I didn't, of course I didn't pick up on that when I first saw it when I was a kid, but as an adult, I'm like, man, this is like, this is a steamy, sexy, sleazy movie. Like I did not expect that. Hey, don't um,
2: sell Kate Nelligan short either. She kind <laughs> she's kind has a kind of ice queen eroticism that, that is kind of surprising in this film. Yeah. Uh, but we yeah. can get to that.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, so that that was exciting and great because i totally forgot that christopher Plummer was in this movie and uh yeah i was kind of expecting to be excited to see jack nicholson as a wolf man i did but i was pleasantly surprised at how brilliant james spader is and like there's <laughs> so many good moments in this, that he has this movie and i loved it when they turn into werewolves they just kind of look like nineties creeps. Like they don't really look <laughs> like dogs. They kind of just look like, like a greasy nineties scumbag. Just somebody that would be like, you know, like at Lollapalooza or something. It was just like this sweaty, gross, like sideburns, like kind of that unshaven nineties look that everyone did. Uh, that's what they look like in this movie. Like no one really looks like a wolf. Like the makeup isn't American werewolf and London werewolf. It really is more just like exaggerated features uh, it, it, it's actually more like the universal Wolfman in a way. Um, who I noticed while watching this, Jack Nicholson, same body type as a Lon Chaney Jr. He has that kind of like the when he's running around, like with it just his like jeans. It's,
2: like, it feels very Lon Chaney Jr. Um, yeah. Yeah. How much do like there's a lot of ref. I thought that there were a lot of references in this, but they were subtle enough that. I also just wondered if I was projecting them. Like, well, that would be an obvious one. Like they would have talked about that. Like, that's something that I that Nicholson probably intended. Like he watched the the Wolfman and was like, I want to run like that. Because that's probably not how <laughs> Nicholson runs in real life. There's a lot of mean but sometimes funny descriptions of that run if you do a search of the web, often involving him needing to get to the bathroom. Uh, (laughs) So, okay, well, let's, we, we've never done Nicholson. We haven't done Nicholson on this show yet. Have we? Is this our first? Well, I didn't
3: do it with you. You did Missouri breaks. Oh yes. I'm sorry. But I was not in that episode. So this, yes. Uh, this is my first Jack Nicholson. Your first time
2: to talk about Jack. Jack yeah so what's your what's Uh, your take what's your experience of jack nicholson
3: i mean it's just one of the he's just one of those stars that like surpasses even being a star he's just like one of those people that are so famous and has been around that like i can't think of a time when he wasn't and it will be weird when he's not like it's just such a it's like the beatles for me or whatever just like they've always been in my life i can't really remember the first time i heard them but they, I feel like it just was like out the womb, and there they were, and that's sort of like with Jack Nicholson. Like I guess maybe the first thing I saw him was maybe, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what would be the Jack Nicholson movie I watched when I was like four or five. In the maybe ori- that in the original
2: <laughs> you saw the original Little Shop of Horrors when you were four or five. Yeah,
3: I remember it being on TV, and my because my mom was a big horror movie fan. And definitely watching that and definitely, like, I don't think I knew that was Jack Nicholson, but I saw that movie and he has a big, great part in that as the guy who loves going to the dentist. So it's uh, it's definitely, like, an interesting... <clears throat> yeah, he's just always been around and I've always loved his movies. And I've also always been fascinated by people who do terrible Jack Nicholson impersonations. <laughs> like, we... Like that's was such a staple of like bad late 80s stand-up comedy was somebody doing a Jack Nicholson impersonation. Uh, and I'm there was a moment in my life when I wanted to do like a mixtape of all, like find all the bad Jack Nicholson impersonations and just put like make a 30-minute mega mix of, <laughs> of that. Because what I love about when people do Jack Nicholson impersonations, they always love to take their hand, pull their hair up, to give themselves this sort of bigger widow's peak or bigger forehead. Mm-hmm. And then they do the voice. Um, <laughs> and, the, and they always only really do mostly the way he is in Five Easy Pieces. Like they, they kind of are just doing their version of the chicken salad sandwich scene. And that's sort of like every bad comedian's Jack Nicholson impersonation. Um,
2: or The Shining. <laughs> or The, sh-
3: <laughs> the Shining. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm a kid of the 80s. So I also was like, I probably had a poster of him as the Joker in my bedroom. You know, like I definitely was like into Jack Nicholson, still into Jack Nicholson. I would watch anything he does. Like I really, and I enjoy everything. He's one of those people to me that even if the movie is not great, he is great in it. Like he, he's, if he's phoning it in, in any of these movies, I can't tell because he's so fascinating to me and will always be. Uh what what is your fa is what is your favorite Jack Nicholson performance or movie? Or is this it? Is it Wolf? No. Or, no, <laughs> no. Where where do you go when you're like that's the that's when he was really that's the one?
2: Well, so with, with Nicholson, it's like there are like a like a lot of actors who start when they're young, there are kind of three phases and for him kind of four phases of Nicholson. So yeah. Little Shop of Horrors is part of that pre fame Jack Nicholson, and that stuff is great. And I think I figured out why we're why we have these weird obsessions because my mother was not into horror films, but she really loved Little Shop of Horrors. So I saw that at a very early age and sort of inherited it as being equivalent to. A any other great movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that basically le- is up until Easy Rider. Yeah. And that's a really interesting and exciting period to explore, learn about Jack Nicholson because he's at the he's sort of like a lot of people of that era. He's sort of at the hub of a lot of stuff. Yeah, helping, um, yeah, helping
3: make the monkeys like right. that's amazing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was one of the producers of the monkeys, so yeah, he's he's really just a. a at, he was he. I always learned of him as a highly intellectual actor, like yeah. a, one of the rare actors who can play, actually play intelligence, because he, well, either because he has it or because he's good at playing it. But there's something really intelligent about him as an actor, as an archetype. So then, then we have the, what, you know, is just the classic Jack Nicholson, which is pretty much, I would say, easy rider through, like, through Reds. Yeah. I would say Mm -hmm. that's like, that's the run of young, young, great, because he was never young. By the time we met him, he was in his (laughs) thirties as an actor, (laughs) <laughs> Even he, when he was a young actor, it was always in. He was in these films that never, no, most people didn't see. They were kind of weird little hipster things or B, B movies, uh, the kind of things that uh, it's. He's, he's very inspirational to actors because if you're an actor who's working in a lot of crappy stuff in your twenties, you sort of look at someone like Jack Nicholson as, oh, well, this is what I'm working towards. Um. At any rate, so he has this fantastic run. And probably, I mean, my favorite stuff is probably in that yeah. sec in that area. I mean, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is amazing. Yeah. The Last Detail. Chinatown. Um, the Missouri Breaks. The Shining. Uh, Reds, he's only in it very briefly. But that might be one of my favorite performances of his. He's great. Yeah, he's great O'Neal. in it. Yeah, And... Then we get then we get, I guess, the he moves into playing more of a actual middle-aged man actor. Like terms of endearment, he's going out with the mom and Pritzy's on her. He's sort of old and fat, and he's this is the salacious, fat, devilish very jack nicholson very
3: devilish more of a creep more of a jerk more of like kind of a bad guy not it's like not like bad bad but like definitely like you're the pro- person causing problems for all the other people in the movie so the era it feels it feels like for this part of his career
2: yeah and i feel like <laughs> it's also the first point when jack nicholson stopped being totally cool like you've heard, people start to talk about how he's just doing an impression of himself, and that he's a, there's a a level of self parody to it, and I think that's just the nature of becoming iconic. I some of this stuff is some of my favorite. I I love the two Jakes. Uh, I mean, everyone loves a few good men. I feel like Wolf is in this era era, and Blood and Wine. Those are two of my Great. favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jack Nicholson, like middle-aged, still like it's creepy that he's hooking up with the young actress in it, but it's not impossible. As once we get to about Schmidt, it's sort of like then he now he's playing old Jack and he's and I don't know if we're going to get another Jack Nicholson uh, film, but that like the stuff from that is the best of that is The Departed the bucket list and anger management and about Schmidt yeah uh, are all a fully gray old man Jack yeah he's no longer if he is hooking up with the young actress it's as it's played as a joke and it's not <laughs> we're not supposed to take it seriously so my favorite I it, it's so hard to, it's so hard to pick yeah I would want to pick one, you know, it's like my favorite for The World is Wrong would be this or Blood and Wine. Yeah. um, The Two Jakes. I still but, have
3: not seen The Two Jakes. I was afraid to uh, watch
2: The Two Jakes. Two well. Jakes is, I think Two Jakes is great. Um, Yeah, we'll definitely do an episode about that. I don't, there's very few of his films that I, and performances I don't like. Uh, I don't love, actually, I don't love the original Batman, you know. I I get what he's doing, but it's too much.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love that movie. I love his Um, performance in that movie. I'm I'm (laughs) too much
2: of a who fan to really dig the him in Tommy, (laughs) but uh, I'll, you know, I'll allow it. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Did you see the crossing guard? No, I've never seen that. No. Yeah. I don't, um, a Sean Penn film. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, instead of answering your question about what my favorite Jack Nicholson is, I decided to whip out my uh, long list of favorites. <laughs> so, uh, but what about, okay, so let's, let's talk about Nicholson and Nichols. You've seen how many of those films?
3: I've seen, I've seen all but Carnal Knowledge. I've not seen Carnal Knowledge, but I saw the other two. I've seen Heartburn, and I've seen uh, The Fortune.
2: So I didn't really 100% describe Carnal Knowledge. It's uh, Jack Nicholson and Art Garfunkel, back when Art Garfunkel was a movie star, following these two guys from college into middle age as sexist young men becoming sexist, old men and treating Candace Bergen and, Anne Margaret particularly poorly. Anne Margaret's amazing in the film. Candace Bergen is very Candace Bergen in the film. And, uh, Nicholson has these scenes where he's, he's in a towel sitting at a, at a chair, smoking a cigarette with his belly hanging out kind of, uh, I don't know, being terrible to Anne Margaret that are sort of ugly and charismatic. And it re- I, re- I remember reading magazines from around that time. I was just you know, like they were old magazines that I found when I was a little bit older in the mid the later 70s reading about it. And something about that had this seemed to have a big impact and it's only 71. It's not, this is before The Last Detail and Five Easy Pieces and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And there's something, he's playing this weird, amoral, like, uh, like a, like a, a bad, ugly guy who you can't take your eyes off of. Uh, and it, it has a almost Stanley Kowalski kind of quality, except a Stanley Kowalski were fat and smart instead of dumb, you know, instead of buff and dumb. But uh, Hmm. yeah. Anyway, you recently seen Heartburn. Yeah. The Nora Ephron. Oh, so uh, good. You want to talk
3: about that a little bit? (laughs) That is a great movie. And that's a movie that I never wanted to watch because the video box is so boring. It was like one of those movies where it's like famous people in it. And like, that's all we're going to give you on the video box. Like, okay. So I never watched it, but then seeing it, that is definitely one of the, my favorite Meryl Streep roles. But then, like, he is so good, and he's such a jerk <laughs> in it. But, it, but like, you kind of feel sorry for him. You kind of love him. You kind of hate him. You really hate him. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a very emotional ride. But because it's uh, Mike Nichols, it's also very funny. Uh, and it's incredibly well written. It's it's That's a Nora Ephron script. And so it has that Nora Ephron thing where it's, like, very human but very clever – and just, like, it's brilliant. I love that movie. That's probably out of the the movies he did with Mike Nichols. That's probably my favorite one. Really? Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Colonel Knowledge, but, like, I there's something about that movie that really... And I watched it because when we were doing Bewitched, I was like, oh, I should watch some Mother Nora Ephron. And so that... I was totally floored by that movie. Like, I think that script is so good. The acting is so good. There's that great scene where uh him and Meryl Streep are like singing about babies or whatever (laughs) that part's really good um there's a like if you want to see uh Jack Nicholson versus Yakov Smirnoff that's a movie for you to watch (laughs) like that it's all the things I didn't know I wanted in a movie uh in that movie uh, yeah, it's 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 gut wrenching and funny at the same time. Like it's really really good.
2: And then and then there's the Fortune, which we already discussed. Yeah, a, a little bit. A, just a great weird film. I was not aware that it was a, a favorite of the Cohens. Yeah, but that makes a lot Total of sense. Total sense. Yeah. And that has Stockard Channing being so great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, really going toe to toe with with Nicholson and Beatty, <laughs> and. Uh, that, that yeah, is such that, a
3: weird movie. The part yeah. where Jack Nicholson is just outside the airplane, <laughs> like yeah. what is going on? That's like the beginning of the movie. Like Warren Beatty being like, "Hey, where's my pal?" He's just outside the window, just like which is like, what is, is this? What is going on? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Very weird. Very good. All these movies are great. Um, yes, and then. <laughs>
2: I know we we're taking a while to get to actually talking about Wolf, but I feel like Wolf isn't just... If you just see Wolf without context, I don't know. To, to me, the context is part of the fun. And then briefly with Mike Nichols, what about, what about Mike Nichols for you? Is he one of your favorites? He's one of my favorites. I, 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 I love I him. I definitely
3: him. have some big gaps. In his film, like, I've never seen Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf*. Like, I've never seen that movie. I have it in my house, but I've never seen it. But, like, I'm, you know, like any young man, grew up just, like, worshipping The Graduate, like, loving that movie so much. And, like, there was a time in high school, maybe middle school, too, where that was, like, my favorite movie, where, like, I thought Dustin Hoffman yeah. was the coolest. Loved the Simon and Garfunkel, like, the style of yep. that movie. Like, that movie's just so, something so cool about it. And just so great, and like that's a movie that I could literally watch over and over again still, and never get sick of. like I love that movie so much. um, but I also, as a young person, watched catch twenty two and that had such a an impact on me and i I like Day of the Dolphin. I really like that movie. <laughs> it's a weird movie. I enjoy it. um I think Working Girl's great. We actually have a working Girl Christmas ornaments, so every Christmas. My wife has working girl Christmas ornaments that her friend made her, and so we hang those up on the tree with care every every year. And uh, postcards from the edge is great, and the bird cage is brilliant, and primary colors doesn't really work, but it's interesting. And like, yeah, I just I think he is a great filmmaker, and like, what's what's interesting about him is that he can just like. Just get a good performance from everybody like he like this movie like that we're talking about all the performances are great like you just have that talent as a director and he's also like a theater guy that you're able to just pull these amazing performances and even surprising performances from people that you already knew were great but giving you like a new thing from them which is fantastic um yeah i know i'm just really you know, happy that we're finally talking about one of his movies because I, I i definitely think he's one of my favorite filmmakers for sure
2: yeah yeah i uh the only ones i'd want to add in there would be like have you seen closer
3: no it's another one that i have get ready, right, oh being boy. the right move
2: oh <laughs> <so> man <laughs> who's afraid of virginia wolf and Clo? look those are prob those are Other than the Graduate, those those would be my top three. Exciting would be uh, so. And and who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? At this point in my life, I might like it more than the Graduate. (laughs) Um, Just sort of, it's like comparing it to the Beatles. It's like the the Graduate is like help and who's afraid of for a free who's afraid of virginia wolf is like the white album even though it's <laughs> one comes the, the the chronology doesn't work but just one is very one is a very youthful film and it speaks to you when you're a young man maybe a young person uh, but who's afraid of virginia wolf speaks to you all throughout your life, <laughs> and more and more the older you get <laughs> it 's crazy, um,
3: Mike Nichols only directed twenty two things, which is not a lot, really, like compared yeah. to other directors like that's a small amount of movies, but maybe that 's how he was able to keep the quality up is that he you know was smart and made a movie when he felt like he could make a good movie as opposed to just having to crank him out
2: and he 's doing theater all throughout oh like, yeah, yeah, it's not just. Doing a play here or there, he's doing some of the major Broadway plays. He was the director of Barefoot in the Park. He he directed a lot of the early uh, Neil Simon stuff. So The Odd Couple, he did Plaza Suite, he did um, Hurly Burly uh, was was his he he directed that. He directed de- the original production of Death and the Maiden Wow. and Spam a lot and. They're, they're, <laughs> There's a bunch he there's a bunch in here and he started with an evening uh, with Mike Nichols and Elaine May yeah. who uh, also, you know, she sort of hangs over all of this in a way that I like will never really be known uh, because she's not credit she's an uncredited writer, I'm sure, well paid at this point <laughs> on this film.
3: Well I, well, I read an
2: article about that and it said that
3: she did the fifth and final rewrite of this movie. And got along very well with the original writer. And that was the final version of the script. It was the one that this will past that she did. I read an article from like night, when this movie came out talking
2: about it. So, in the, the scene that we played at the beginning, it ends with James Spader saying S- suede shoes or something like that. And then uh, Nicholson just says asparagus. And I just feel like that's uh, an Elaine May line. That feels that, that
3: feels right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this is the first time in forever that she com- collaborated with Mike Nichols, even in a weird way of being a rewrite. And then this kind of kickstarts them working together again, because then she went on to write the Birdcage and Primary Colors. So like this kind of, you know, like brought them back together creatively, which is exciting.
2: And I gotta say. Primary colors is, I think it's great. It's re, it's very weird. Very weird. That, <laughs> I feel like in a strange. It's a ve- it's very different, but in a strange way, it would make a nice uh, double bill with the November Men. In that, uh, the whole time, like with that, with November Men, I'm the whole time I'm figuring, am I watching a movie or an assassination plot? And with this. <laughs> Primary colors, I feel like, am I watching a movie or a propaganda film? <laughs> and it's a if it's a propaganda film, it's a really weird one because it's very critical of its subject. But at the same time, it's also feels like it might be propaganda for its subject. And ultimately, it was uh, because it didn't do anything to hurt the Clintons. And John Travolta is amazing in it.
3: Yeah, he is. Yeah, and Emma, Emma Thompson... And yeah yeah that movie both... that, it's a very interesting movie i saw it in the theater when it came out and i liked it yeah but it definitely was like it's weird <laughs> yeah it is a it is
2: a weird film 98 isn't that uh isn't that the same year as uh forrest gump
3: no forrest gump was 94
2: okay the yeah. Year of Wolf. Okay. Finally. Many, many like way too long into this episode, we get to actually talking about this movie. But I again I, I felt like this is our first time touching on these these artists yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. it feels important to, to get there. We're not gonna do this with James Spader and Michelle Pfeiffer and Christopher no. Plummer, but we could. Uh so okay, so I don't think we need to walk through every beat of this film. It's a werewolf film. Do you, would you say, where would you say that this, uh, since you probably watched a lot more werewolf films than I have, where would you say that this film diverges from your typical werewolf movie?
3: Well, like I said, they never fully turn into wolves that you see. Like I think they do by the end. But like through the movie, he really just looks like Neil Young basically. (laughs) And, and so it's, and it's more like their behavior is more wolf. Like it's like, it's almost like a, yeah, it's not like the, it's not like, Oh, it's nighttime and the moon is up and he's just running around the woods. You know, he does that for sure. But there's also just sort of like him around people and like, (laughs) yeah, just doing dog like, uh, behavior. Um, like he's doing a lot of scratching. <laughs> he's, that like just seeing Jack Nicholson howl at the moon is amazing. Um, and the same goes with James Spader. Like just the part where he's smelling <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer, just smelling That's her. That's the scene. That's the scene. <laughs>
2: that's the that's the nicholas when the movie goes into nicholas cage land i'm like this is happening <laughs> and it's, in a so, whole... good. And it's oh. so good but then you have jack nicholson just grabbing
3: that delicious looking meat off his secretary's desk and just like eating her like kind of rare roast beef sandwich or pastrami sandwich or whatever that is. and so like he's not yeah it's not like american Werewolf in london or the wolfman where he's a normal guy and then the moon and then at night the moon comes up and then he's a wolf like they're, they're kind of slowly cranking it up with all these characters um which is great i think that's more interesting it makes it more like a disease it makes it more like uh maybe these people are just uh, insane (laughs) you just don't understand you don't know what's going on and uh i love that and like i like to i don't know just i like that that jack nicholson slowly becoming aware that this is happening to him but not picking up right away but other people around kind of being like, this is weird. This is strange. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, and, and, the, you, and, the, you, and you don't have the, the classic, like, I'm hunting the werewolf. I got my silver bullet. I must kill him. I'm the werewolf hunter. Like, you don't really have that in this movie either. Um, which is, like, you have police in there trying to, like, Richard Jenkins trying to solve a crime. But it's different. It's not like, let's grab the villagers and we're going to stop the werewolf. <laughs> like, that doesn't really happen so much. Um, yeah, and that's why it doesn't feel like a horror movie. It's more of like a character study. It's more of a, a weird, you know, satire on like yeah masculinity and in the '90s. It's not a horror. This is not a werewolf. It's called Wolf, but it does not f- fit in with the other werewolf movies.
2: The scenes where Nicholson is becoming aware of his wolfenness. <laughs> Are the like for me the other part of like because throughout the at the beginning of this movie the the movie starts he's a very he's a weak it's it's weird he's simultaneously supposed to be someone who has earned the respect sorry motorcycle going by uh who simultaneously earned the respect of his peers and he's and all these authors he's a beloved older editor but he's also this sort of weak cuckolded man who doesn't stand up for himself and is about to get pushed out of his job. And then he runs over, runs into a wolf in Vermont, which we know, which we're told over and over again, doesn't happen and couldn't have happened. And then the, and the wolf bites him. And that's where the yada, 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 it's a werewolf movie (laughs) kicks in. Uh, But watching him go from the weak man to the strong man through (laughs) the senses of the wolf, basically through hearing and smelling, which are two, I don't know, they're they're not easy things to convey cinematically. It's not like he he displays these feats of strength. He displays feats of sense. Like he he gains his eyesight back. He's like, there's this great point where David Hyde Pierce, who's awesome in this movie, uh, is uh, and there's all these great. Sorry, there's all these great TV people who I feel like are right before they hit, like whoever the casting director who worked on this was always aware, like, oh, well, there's this guy who's going to be in a TV show. David Schwimmer will have him play the cop and Allison Janney. She's going to be in this political show have her play you know you know it, i'm sure it wasn't planned that way but it's just the casting pool that they were picking yeah from i love seeing peter was...
3: garrity i love peter garrity like he's oh yeah he's so good he's in fantastic. the wire and, and homicide life on the street and here he's sort of playing a cop in a being yeah. a security guard for michelle pfeiffer's yeah. mansion uh uh it doesn't work out well for him uh peter garrity fans i'm no. sorry but yeah. oh did you notice am i crazy was her picture of her brother is that Matt LeBlanc? Like they have, like she's like, oh my! But she talks about her brother, and there's a picture of him, and I swear to God, it's a picture of Matt LeBlanc, which would make sense if David Schwimmer's in this, and it's like this is the same casting person, that because Friends started in what 94, 95. Yeah, it was the same year. It was. But I, it looked it to. If it's not Matt LeBlanc, it's a person who looks like Matt LeBlanc <laughs> in the picture, because this character is not in the movie other than in the picture, and I swear it's him, but maybe. It's just another
2: Italian American and I'm just
3: being prejudiced.
2: I'm I actually have the film up right now.
3: <laughs> I remember what, it's the part where she's talking about her brother. It's like when they first yeah, no, hang I out. found out. And I swear oh. when I saw that picture, I was like, that looks like Matt like a young Matt LeBlanc. Like he posed for this picture. Um <laughs> But he's not credited on IMDb like as an actor because he's not in the movie, he's just a picture on a mantle. So, like you don't credit those people. So it's no
2: no, it isn't Matt LeBlanc, but it is Justin Kirk.
3: Oh, okay. From
2: the TV show Weeds and a lot of other things since then. Uh, I'm pretty sure. But wild. So (laughs) Okay, so now you caught that (laughs) almost.
3: I knew it was somebody familiar. It's like that person looks
2: familiar. That is that's that's a good catch. That is a good catch. But my point was that the way that they demonstrate Jack Nicholson becoming a wolf with all these actors that he gets to act off of, it's all, I find it really engaging. Those are my favorite parts of the film. But as far as like now that we've seen so many films about superheroes and people transforming into things... Generally, they do that in a way that is a lot, I don't know, that doesn't, that is less subtle or, and doesn't feel as good as just Jack Nicholson walking out and all of a sudden being able, being able to hear all these conversations and smell the alcohol on someone's breath <laughs> and smell the lover on his wife's robe and all these things that. I don't know, empower this older man, which in the context of all these Jack Nicholson, Mike Nichols perform films, it is the most... It, I guess maybe now that they're old guys, they're kind of reveling in being old guys and they're able to throw the young guy, James Spader, under the bus. Whereas when they were making Carnal Knowledge and the Fortune, they were those guys. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs>
3: I mean, the scene in the bathroom is amazing. This like seeing these two actors be just like, it's like a literal pissing contest. (laughs) And just like the fact that it takes place at a urinal, it's just like, it's so good. (laughs) And it's funny because it's, it's like the way, like you're right, the way he's kind of starts ineffectual in this movie and becomes more confident and more, you know, cool. It's almost as if he was bitten by a Jack Nicholson and becomes... Sort of the Jack Nicholson that we know and love in movies is sort of what happens to this character. He becomes more of a jerk. He becomes more sexy. He becomes like in the, cause like Jack Nicholson in movies has always had this kind of animal quality to him. Like always there's just something Mm -hmm. about like the, like the animal changes. Sometimes he's a snake. Sometimes he is a wolf. Sometimes, you know, like he, and so to have a movie where he actually turns into an animal, but really he just becomes more like Jack Nicholson like his, you know and, and it's funny to me like you make a movie about a wolfman and what's wolf what are wolfmen famous for that they grow all this hair but you cast one of the most famous like balding men <laughs> like the person who's famous for his receding hairline and you cast him as a wolfman and then you don't fill that in you don't fix it he is basically a werewolf with a receding hairline i really like that (laughs) i think that's really funny um (laughs) and there's something about the beginning that's like i mean i mean i know why it's like that beginning reminds me so much of the shining to seeing jack nicholson driving a car in the snow like it just feels so shining to me and i guess at one point stanley kubrick was maybe considered to direct this and he quickly turned it down i don't know who pitched that idea (laughs) before i went to mike nichols but uh that's weird um but i I just like i mean just seeing jack nicholson running around just howling and acting like an animal is so fun it's just (laughs) so fun to watch like i can't get sick of it it's it's really funny and i think he knows it's funny i like and that's what's so great about this movie is that like i think everybody who made this movie knows how funny it is but they don't show their cards like they're doing yep. all these things, but they're playing it like it's a serious movie, but that's what makes it funnier. Like if they leaned into it being like, Isn't this funny? It wouldn't be funny at all. But the fact that it is done like a drama makes it all the better. Like and even like if you go to IMDB, this isn't even listed as a comedy at all. It's it's drama first, then horror, and then romance. And comedy's not even a part of it. And I think that is to me, is the main thing that everyone goes wrong with this movie is not realizing it's funny and once you realize that or go in knowing that i think you will enjoy the movie so much more because then you really get so much out of it understanding that this is supposed to be funny
2: Yeah, but not jokes funny. Not this jokes
3: is... funny. It's just, it's, it's, it's a funny movie it's... made by Mike Nichols. So it's a smart, yeah. it's smart. Yeah. It's, it's too smart, maybe. I think that's yeah. maybe the fault is that if this is not the movie that everybody wanted to see in the theater. So they were turned off by it. And the people who would have wanted to see this didn't know that that's what this was. And so like I think this, like if anybody takes anything from this episode is like, watch this movie knowing that it's an incredibly intelligent comedy which you don't expect from a movie called wolf with jack nichols becoming a werewolf but that is what this is that's why it's a it that's it's a mike nichols movie just don't forget that and i think people forgot that like he's yeah. not gonna make some dumb crappy horror movie like like that's not why would he do that he didn't need to make these movies <laughs> like he chose to make this movie uh Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, yeah, just, yeah, him becoming Jack Nicholson. It basically is kind of what this movie seems like to me. It's like him figuring out, like, this movie could be about what he was, like, in the 60s, figuring out what he needed to be in the 70s. Like, in 1968, (laughs) he's bitten by (laughs) the Jack Nicholson werewolf, and then we get our five easy pieces. We get...
2: We get the fortune, which I get. I, I I sort of sped through all of these. I re- did a quick rewatch of all three of those movies today. Wow! I didn't actually watch them all, so I was like, I I've seen all three of them, so I sort of sped through. Um, <laughs> oh, and what I can watch on a loop the part when he bounces bounds up the staircase
3: to catch his wife.
2: Yes, that is yes. so
3: good. The way it's like him to, like I can just, like if I'm ever feeling blue. I wish there was like a button I can push and that could just appear on my TV, just him bounding beautifully, <laughs> just up the staircase, so good.
2: Yeah, yeah. He becomes a wolf. He really the wolf comes out when uh, when he finds out that Kate Nelligan, his wife, has been having an affair with James Spader, his protege. Uh, what what a damning blow, <laughs> and so there's a, there's a few things in this film that that are that are handled really uh wonderfully something about kate nelligan's character she's an actress that i an actor that i am somewhat aware of but i can't really you know place anything in particular and that's there is a particular thing she's doing in this film, with a character that should be more unlikable than she is, and it's not. And it's kind of an empty role, but her moments, like the moment that follows that, really land in this way. Where I don't know if that's Mike Nichols' direction, or just like how he uh, how he set her up to resonate in that way but she's not as an she's she's actually far less uh, unsympathetic that's a a lot of double negatives in there (laughs) she's far more sympathetic than uh the character is necessarily uh written to be if it's in another movie and i feel like uh so i feel like what she's doing is pretty pretty amazing in the film are did you not i wouldn't say amazing Uh, let me back up I don't want to oversell it. But I feel like that's a performance that I definitely didn't pay attention to on the first watch. But the more I watch it, the more I'm noticing very subtle things it, that she's doing and Nichols is picking up it on. It
3: seems like the most grounded and real character in the movie. Like she's existing in a, a movie that's not about a werewolf in a way. Like the way she acts in it, like it feels very natural and real. Like there's there's something that... That you would not expect from in a movie called Wolf.
2: Um. And can we talk about there's two very subtle things that get communicated without being said. And I went back over and over to try and find out if I missed them. But one is when Christopher Plummer fire is 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 offering Jack Nicholson the opportunity to get to quit or take a job that nobody would want before his after he's been bitten, but before he's. Really become a wolf. So while he's still a weak man, at some point in that conversation, Christopher Plummer divulges to Nicholson that it was James Spader's character as protege who betrayed him mm-hmm. and has been campaigning for this job that he keeps saying that he will, will quit if if they fire Jack Nicholson's uh, his, the character Will. If they're gonna if they fire yeah. him, he'll quit. But in fact, he's been campaigning for the job. Yeah. And of course, we kind of know that because it's James Spader and he's a weasel at this point <laughs> in his career and everything he's doing. Uh, but Christopher Plummer never explicitly says that it's James. The job's going to James Spader, and Nicholson never asks. And then the next time Nicholson shows up with. Kate Nelligan and uh, James Spader, he knows that Spader is the one, but it was never spoken. And there's a part of like, unless you remember it being spoken, that's just this very... That's sort of the level of the sense of humor or the sense of intelligence that's in this film of, like, okay, well, they just figured it out. Or you figure it out. But did you did you pick up on that? I thought that
3: they actually said his name, but maybe i'm wrong uh but i mean it's i think it's also the thing of like well james spader's there well of course it's him like we've seen his other movies we know what he's, what james spader gets up to like clearly it's it could only be it's it's not david Hyde pierce it's james spader <laughs> <laughs> like we all saw pretty in pink and sex lies in videotape we know what a weirdo this guy can be like clearly he's the one up to some bad business
2: um <laughs> okay well then the other thing the other thing is so do you think jack nicholson killed kate nelligan there's a whole point where, oh yeah yeah. and when he becomes a wolf he thinks he killed his wife no but maybe he didn't kill his wife
3: i think it was spader i think spader did it to help frame and set up J- i think this that's when it becomes werewolf versus werewolf and i think that's him fucking with jack nicholson or, like, or I mean, like, as the ending of the movie showed, like, Spader's a rapey werewolf. So maybe it went, something went really badly between him and his mist- his mistress. You know, like, this is, uh, yeah, it's dark. But I don't think it was Jack Nicholson. I think that it was Spader. Jack Nicholson's a so, good werewolf. James Spader's yeah, a bad werewolf.
2: <laughs> when Nicholson goes to meet a werewolf expert, that his one of his colleagues looks up on a very uh, antiquated computer, uh, <laughs> sends him to Dr. Alizaeus, which when he said, every time he said that, every time I've watched him, this movie, and he said that, I think Dr. Zaeus. Yes. <laughs> but he's not going to see an orangutan. He's going to see this scholar who knows a lot about werewolves, and he tells Jack Nicholson that the wolf doesn't ch- that. The curse of the wolf doesn't change the nature of the man. The wolf becomes the kind. The wolf is the kind of wolf that the man was. And was a great scene where he tells Nicholson that he's got a, he's got some illness, and he's going to die unless Nicholson bites him. And he asks him to bite him, and Nicholson sort of like there's a little bit of a like weird gay panic moment of like,
3: <laughs> I mean,
2: he's just, he has just bitten James Spader, but he's sort of like, I can't, you know, he's, he's almost like, you know, kiss me first, you know, just like, give me, you know, <laughs> why me? i not just, I can't just bite you. You gotta make me want to bite you. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, so Spader is becoming a a shitty werewolf, whereas <laughs> whereas uh, Jack Nicholson is becoming a, a good werewolf. But OK, so so let's go back, going back to the murder of Kate Nelligan's character, which, by the way, the scene where they uh, where she confronts Jack Nicholson and asks him to take her back and he turns her down. And then there's this reveal of, there's her face and there's the reveal of Michelle Pfeiffer. It felt like the, just this, a moment of, that was a really good shoot day for Mike Nichols. Like it taps into some of the energy that's there in The Graduate. Just that one shot and that performance is like almost from another movie. Again, that's sort of what I'm talking about, how she, how... Kate Nelligan's character just gets more attention than that character would in another movie. Mm -hmm. And I just tell you, I have such sympathy for her at that moment. Like Jack Nicholson, isn't really being a good guy, but he's being a wolf. So he doesn't have to be a good guy. He's sort of, he's owning his, uh, I don't know, his masculinity or toxic masculinity depends upon how you view the film. Mm -hmm. But when she's killed, and this is one of the things I was trying to figure out when I was watching the film, has Spader's character, does Spader's character, the man, kill Kate Nelligan to frame Jack Nicholson? Or does James Spader, the wolf, Mm. kill Kate Nelligan? Because when I watch the scenes, like when he becomes a wolf, his eyes get really weird. And it feels like the first time we see that is when he's sniffing up Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. And before that he's just creepy James Spader. Yeah. But then she was killed by like the when they when Richard Jenkins describes the murder, he describes it as being like she was attacked by an animal. So I don't know. I j- Jury's still out. I think if this if this went to trial, I think Jack Nicholson, I think Will might still be convicted.
3: Hmm.
2: I don't know. I'm well, just, I mean, that's I, what it, they
3: try to do in the movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, I, put, that's one of those things where, again, the way it's the way all this is communicated leaves these questions. And I like that. It's just the, it's not, I don't know if it's like a sense of, when I say a sense of humor, I don't mean that it's always got to be funny. Yeah. sometimes it could be a sense of humor about like just okay well chew on that you know <laughs> it, you don't really know
3: and interesting enough kate nelligan was in the 1979 version of dracula the franklin jello one uh as lucy so she's she's dabbled in two of the classic horror villain films
2: way. have you seen that one?
3: Oh, it's the best that's the best version of dracula it's so good that's, really oh yeah it's great that's a great movie
2: the best version version of Dracula, yeah, directed
3: but... by John Badham. Is that how you say it? Okay. Badham? Written by W.D. Richter. Uh, it's the mo- my. It was my mom's favorite. Maybe that's why I think it, because she thinks it's the be- it's the best version of the book. But you have Laurence Olivier as Van Helsing, Donald Pleasance is in it. Like it's a very well made movie. It's a very good movie. Um. And yeah, she's one of the she's like the main lady in it. So yeah, watch watch that version of Dracula. Watch the nineteen seventy-nine Dracula. It's fantastic. And Franklin Jella, brilliant as Dracula.
1: Okay.
2: Okay.
3: Um and another interesting fact, uh the Kate Nelgin character in Wolf was originally gonna be played by Mir Pharaoh. And Mike Nichols fought for it to be Mia Farrow, but the studio did not want Mia Farrow for fear of all the controversy that she was dealing with with Woody Allen at the time.
2: And did you know... that? So this must have been around the time, because there's a whole story that Mia Farrow basically told Mike... Was, was trying to get Mike Nichols to be her new boyfriend. Like, no. the rebound guy after... Again, for people who have been drawn into the soap opera of Woody Allen and Mia Farrow, that's one of the stories that goes around: is that she was was he not- uh, sort of desperately told him like I'm you're going to marry me, and he was like, uh, no. Was he not uh, with Diane Sawyer at the time? Uh, n- well, no, she he was. Uh, that's sort of you know it's sort of like Mia Farrow and Andre Previn. Or Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra it's kind of was her M.O. a little bit. Uh, again, in the realm of the gossipy world that everyone who got drawn into that drama got drawn into yeah. this. I, I'm, I'm repeating gossip <laughs> repeated in these circles where there's so much gossip well, going on. Ultimately...
3: But- She's the one who turned the role down because she had a scheduling conflict. So he won out and trying to get her in the movie. And then she's like, I can't do it. <laughs> so
2: he, I wonder if this,
3: who knows? Like, and that would have been, if that would have been weird with her, cause she, to me is so much more fragile seeming and looking. Yeah. That having the way Jack Nicholson treats his wife. If it was Mia Farrow, I feel that would be even more upsetting. <laughs> that would feel le- not like a funny movie. That would feel like a very upsetting movie. Yeah, um. in,
2: in all kinds of ways. <laughs> I think that was a. I think that was a bullet. That was a bullet dodged. A silver bullet. No silver bullets in this, by the way. And, Not even a Bob Seeger cameo.
3: And it's worth to point out this is our second Richard Jenkins movie that we covered, uh, after The Imposters.
2: Oh yes, um. yes.
3: And Elaine May is the voice of the operator on the phone that calls, uh, that, wait, that does the wake-up call for Jack Nicholson in the hotel.
2: Actually, Richard Jenkins and Allison Janney, who were the oh, lovers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. They were together yeah. as the lovers in uh, the dastardly terrorist lovers, and uh, so uh, clearly
3: old friends.
2: Yes. Well, clear with this casting director. Clearly, old friends with this casting director,
3: <laughs> and it's weird that the yeah that uh, the lady from Faulty Towers is in this movie. It's the only other thing I've ever seen her in.
2: Oh yeah, she's great.
3: Purnell Scales, like like, how did she get cast in this? That's so weird.
2: Because Mike Nichols, probably because Mike Nichols loves her, and he has, he's respectable enough to come over and play this role for her, yeah. and you know. He's he's not going to ask her to say basil. <laughs> so we we haven't we haven't discussed the one thing we haven't discussed in this film really, other than the Ennio Morricone score and the Rick Baker makeup, which we can discuss or or not. Is Michelle Pfeiffer? Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling Michelle Pfeiffer is going to come up more over this next year. There's at least one other film that I have in mind in which she plays a similar kind of role she what do you think Michelle Pfeiffer is a very uh conflicting actress for me because I because she's great and she's only gotten greater as she's gotten older and usually in movies the role she's playing is not very interesting and is mostly I feel like is mostly cast because she's beautiful but she also happens to be amazing which is then Nicholson has a whole um Monologue directed at her that kind of describes this.
0: You know, I think I understand what you're like now. You're very beautiful, and you think men are only interested in you because you're beautiful. But you want them to be interested in you because you're you. The problem is that aside from all that beauty, you're not very interesting. You're rude, you're hostile, you're sullen, you're withdrawn. I know you want someone to look past all that at the real person underneath, but the only reason that anyone would bother to look past all that is because you're beautiful. Ironic, isn't it? In an odd way, you're your own problem. Sorry, wrong line. I am not taken aback by your keen insight and suddenly challenged by you.
2: It still it does describe something about Michelle Pfeiffer on film like it's not her fault because she always she almost always transcends those roles and is better than those roles. But what about you? Are you like I've talked about how I don't love Kim Basinger. I feel like she's in the same type, same type of actress. But I think Michelle Pfeiffer always makes the role better in a way that I don't feel about Kim Basinger. Well who plays I, I, that kind of role.
3: I love Michelle Pfeiffer and I agree. She just gets better and better. But I've always liked her a lot. Like I think she's really great in Into the Night, the uh Jeff Goldblum John Landis movie. She's great in that. Mm-hmm. Uh she was great with Jack Nicholson and Witches of Eastwick. <laughs> I'm a huge Mary to the Mob fan. Love, love, love that movie. And she is a really good in that movie. And she's playing kind of a character different than what she normally does, which I really like too. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've just, I've always been a fan. Like, I loved her as Catwoman. I'm, like, Age of Innocence is, she's great in that. Like, Dangerous Mind is great. Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think she's, oh, What Lies Beneath is so good. Like, yeah, I think she is just, like, you always know you're going to get something great from her. And, and she just has that star quality like she like just with jack nicholson it's like you show up and you just have a presence you just have a way like if this was an underwritten role and maybe it was she makes it work and she makes it so good just by being there and being michelle pfeiffer in this role
2: yeah she does a lot with yeah does a lot with not a lot uh, and she's yeah, she's she's excellent in it. Uh, a lot of those films that you you mentioned were films that I'm not that into. So <laughs> I think that's probably can, I think that probably explains why uh, why there's a a weird, you know, lack of not even respect, a lack of knowledge around uh, around her films. Um, so to be corrected, I mean. But again, I've, I think I've seen most of them. Uh, but uh, I love her in uh, Dangerous Liaisons. That's one that I think is fantastic. And uh, isn't she in that Oscar bait Sean Penn movie? Oh, I am Sam. That everyone, that everyone likes to make fun of. Yes. But
3: yes, she is.
2: <laughs> I, seem, I seem to remember thinking that the meanness directed at that film was unfair um so well
3: clearly you didn't see the scene where he falls down the stairs with the cake <laughs>
2: so is that is that was that really terrible that's the only part
3: that i've seen is him him excited about a cake and he falls down it's kind of slapsticky i don't think it's supposed to be unintentional slapstick um
2: yeah uh, well how uh how is tequila sunrise have you seen that that's the one I want to do. I want to do to tequila sunrise as an episode. I recently rewatched that film and it is wild. It is a very pro cocaine movie from a could like just say no time. And Kurt Russell is fantastic in it. One of uh, maybe one of his best roles, uh, definitely one of his best roles, maybe his best. I don't know. Uh, and it's directed by Robert Town from his own script. And it has a, a Arliss Howard shows up in it a, as a, a young Arliss Howard. And it's, you know, peak Mel Gibson and peak Michelle Pfeiffer having, they have a way too long love scene in the hot tub. Says you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh Crazy, you know, uh, Love making scene rivals rivals the lovemaking uh the weird lovemaking from wilder palm where arliss howard and deborah winger somehow get on top of a bed canopy uh in this case it's there's there's similar feats of weird <laughs> physics that somehow sex, sex between amazing people transcends in films um yeah no tequila sunrise is is one maybe we just did it? <laughs> but,
3: <laughs> well, I'm excited to watch that movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's oh, and Raúl Julia. Oh my God, yes, and Raúl Julia in in another in a great, great Raúl Julia role, uh, and uh, and J T. Walsh also. Oh wow, fantastic what, a, what a cast! In this film. Yeah, it's, wow. it's 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 nuts. It's a it's oh. a great film. Okay, well, I think have we left any meat on this bone, my fellow wolf? <laughs> have we? Have we? Have we sucked the marrow out of this film. Is there anything else? It's to a say? movie
3: to be experienced. Like we, you could talk about the plot, but like you really just have to watch it. You just have to see. Like I feel it's a movie that really went for it and didn't get credit for really going for it. And like I think this should be a part of somebody's, uh, you know, movie watching this month for October. Like if you're like trying to find, if you think you've seen all the horror movies or whatever, yeah, this isn't quite a horror movie, but it fits it fits and uh it
2: should be wa- it, wait, what. Did, wait 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 what did you call this month oh i've always called this month shocktober you you no you just called it october well it's wrongtober uh,
3: wrongtober <laughs> for the month of wrongtober <laughs> rent what find wolf it, it should be too hard to find right These, it's on amazon it's prime on amazon prime that it's in everybody's home then already sorry um. <laughs> uh yeah no it's 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 so good and i feel like james spader doesn't quite get the cool credit yet that he should be getting like the love that Nicolas cage often gets should there should be some of that love kind of splintered off and given to a james spader especially in this movie because like you said when he goes wild in this movie it is very very interesting
2: (laughs) and when he's weaselly he's very interesting that whole bit about i'll quit just tell me to quit and i'll do it yeah what can i do it's like the most passive aggressive (laughs) and
3: and again like like, this
2: movie could have been
3: totally ridiculous and in some people's eyes it is but to me it's not because these actors are so good and they're so good in this movie that it, it keeps it from being silly and it just like this, like the way Jay Spader is in this, it's like this is one of his best performances of the time. I think like he's really it's that good, sleazy, creepy Spader that, you know, and love and want. But and but I think he kind of turns it up a bit in this more so than he's allowed to in other movies. He really yeah. is allowed to kind of go big, but without derailing the movie because it's already about werewolves. So you can go a little bit big. <laughs> you can get away with it.
2: Not just werewolves, but really rich werewolves. <laughs>
3: rich, shitty, rich werewolves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall,
2: examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.
0: Hey babies, it is me, the self-appointed Commissioner of Comedy, James Madden. I just want to tell you that every week I'll be wherever you listen to podcasts with my show, The Commissioner of Comedy. I've been doing this, babies, for almost 20 years years grinding up and down and i'm here to convey it to you about the do's and don'ts of the comedy scene the proper etiquette the unwritten rules if you will whether you're just a fan or you're a young buck starting out a grizzled old vet or just someone who wants to peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage gets made tune into the podcast the commissioner of comedy this is what it's about it's only on Paperhouse network and it's
2: for you babies it's for you Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Who doggies! Well, that was that was Wolf. That was Wolf, people. That that was Wolf. And, um, you know, uh, Brian, you know, we forgot to mention something last week for September 30th, 1955. That was our 50th episode. Holy moly. Are are you kidding me? Yes. And that doesn't include we've had bonus episodes. We've had more than 50, but that's 50 official episodes.
3: That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that many.
2: I guess that's good. Yeah, you must have been, and you must have been there for at least forty of them. <laughs> uh,
3: maybe <laughs> a little less than that, but
2: no, you were there still, for all of them to some even degree. Even
3: still, yeah. like that's that's amazing. That's fifty movies in now that the world is wrong about. That means the world is pretty darn wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> if, if if season one <laughs> and a little bit of into season two makes fifty, like man there's and like the thing is i look at our list of of all the possible episodes i want to do and there's uh, still so much more i keep adding <laughs> so things like, to my list I keep adding things so, to my list my list has gotten so long i mean i might not do all of them but it's like man there's a lot of movies the world is wrong about and i didn't realize how much weight i've been carrying with me this whole lifetime of all these movies that i know the world is wrong about that i've always had to defend time and time again it's a lot of work i'm glad that we're kind of like going through it all helping yeah. me yeah i'm here for <laughs> helping you me brian cope, i'm here cope for you brian <laughs> which movie do you think you've defended the longest is it mad dog time like in your lifetime like which movie do you think you've like had the most having to defend that mm. it's good to people hmm yeah I, I mean I, I don't even know i don't even know the answer to that question myself but that's an interesting thing to ponder like what has been your longest uh defense
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's some film I saw as a kid that <laughs> I've been carrying around for a long time you know when I was when I was really young when I was really really young my favorite movie uh was no deposit no return which was a, oh, I yeah. think it was a Tim Conway Don Knotts Don
3: Knotts
2: <laughs> Yeah I think that they also did the Apple Dumpling Gang, right? Which is more loved than no
3: deposit no return.
2: I remember those two films were were I haven't gone back to them because I don't want to ruin it, but it's possible. <laughs> it's you know, I I think that yeah, that's a, that I'm a little bit afraid of that one. <laughs> uh
3: I, For me, it's it's an obvious one. It's kind of painfully obvious, but for me it was Return of the Jedi. Like when I was a kid, I loved that one the most out of all the Star Wars movies. And everybody else was like, oh, Empress Strikes Back's the best one. The Ewoks are stupid. And I'm like, no, the Ewoks make it the best one. (laughs) It's the best one because of the Ewoks. And I still have that argument with people to this day. (laughs) Since age five, I've been defending the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. (laughs) I knew. I knew back then in my heart that we would have a show someday where we could defend all these movies, you know. Well, I
2: used to the get beat up. Do. I used to get beat up for defending Star Wars, the original one, when I was when it first came out. But I don't think... really. The, didn't everybody like that movie though? No, no. I mean, I, I really? No, no. I mean, I know it was very, very popular, but yeah. In my what would it have been fourth grade? I for I was uh, I started a new school in fourth grade that year, and I showed up and was just like, I'm into Star Wars and. Next thing you know, kids are mean. <laughs> uh, were these
3: uh, Star Trek fans? I, don't, I think they <laughs> were just. I think
2: they were just kids who liked, you know, boys who liked cars and football. You know, oh,
3: man, it's weird to think that there was a time when liking that movie made you kind of like a nerd or a target. Because now it just seems like NFL, like Star Wars is sports yeah. now, or it's just yeah. like everybody loves it. Every dad loves those movies. Like that's that's funny. <laughs> But man, well, 50 episodes. Congratulations.
2: Congratulations us. to you. And to all you <laughs> listeners. If you've listened to all 50, wow. congratulations is due to you as well.
3: Have we gotten one listen per every 50 state of America? <laughs>
2: uh I don't know. I don't know is if that's a... I don't know if that's true. I can't I don't want to do I don't want to crunch the numbers right now. <laughs> I want to say that it is, it continues to be a uh a source of <clears throat> I don't know. No surprise and a certain amount of annoyance that we still have our lowest listenership li- listenership in Olympia, Washington, where we're both from.
3: <laughs> it's like to- those guys. Eh, forget it. <laughs> today is a, we're recording
2: this on the day that September 30th, 1955, came out. I looked at it. There were li- you know we had like 20 downloads in New Jersey and, da- da- and like I go to like Olympia one. Whoever you are, thank you. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. mom. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Enough. So, so uh, we are we're in we're in the throes or the we're not in the throes. We're at the onset of Wrongtober, and we we worked on a project uh, many many years ago that has a sort of a seasonal quality. Something yeah. that I uh, a, a client of mine that I I, I haul yeah. out perennially around the holidays to yeah. to promote the singles that we created together. This is a, a cat named Schmushkin, yeah, and his song, uh, his uh, autumnal love song, Punkin' Lovin."
3: <laughs> Great song,
2: <laughs> yeah. And uh, and we worked on it. We worked on a documentary that that really that never really saw the light of Lost. day.
3: Yeah, well, I kind of, it's funny, I thought about it the other day, because I helped direct it. I feel like you and I directed it together. Would you say that's kind of what happened? Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. And uh, we followed around basically a group of fans, Shmushkin fans, and visited, kind of checked in with them, see how they're doing. It was amazing. The one guy, we followed to a pumpkin patch, and he actually found a pumpkin that looks like an ass. That was the most thrilling (laughs) That was the most thrilling moment of that documentary. Now, I I, uh, I, I think but, you're
2: forgetting something here, Brian. We weren't just <laughs> following around Shmushkin fans. We were following around the Shmushkin hate group, the anti-Shmushkinites. That's
3: right. That's right. Yes. That's right. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah, because there was a C, uh, guy did a CD burning. Yes. Like, not burning the CD like on a computer, but actually setting them on fire because he was so offended by the lyrics of, of his songs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why didn't that get finished? That was good. That was a good movie. Let's finish that. Let's put that out for the world. Like it's got it
2: only be like. You want to hear something? Under, want to hear something? Under thirty. Yeah. You know what that is? That's the. That's a bag of little mini DV tapes. <laughs> I have the masters right here. I'm ready to finish. You want to this make? Movie. You want to make make, make the Schmushkin movie as the follow up to make popular films? I. You know what? I
3: do. <laughs> It's the only movie that I worked on that's a lost movie. Actually, no, it's not true. You and I made another movie that I also never finished.
2: Oh, yeah? Which which one was that?
3: Uh, Remember that one movie where I made you stand in a park and pretend to yell at a cell phone? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I never finished that movie, but I I have that scene uncut. I feel (laughs) like like that was not one of my greater
2: performances.
3: (laughs) Maybe that's why I never did anything (laughs) with it. No, I, I it didn't work. Uh, but anyway, so but I feel uh, like I go on. Yeah, no, finish. I feel like we should finish this movie before next Rontober We should we should get it done.
2: Oh yeah, well I'm down. I'm down. I tell you what, so the just so the listeners can get a sense of what we're talking about, and because it's a, a like a minute and a half long song, I'm just going to drop uh, "Punk and Lovin" in here. Yes, please. Uh, so you can get a sense of what we're talking about, and I'll include links in the show notes so that you can get. Your schmushkin on for the uh, for the holiday season.
1: I was so lonely last Halloween. I don't know what came over me. The jack o' lantern looked at me and.
2: Punkin lovin', you're gonna love Christmas Cunolingus. That's all I'm gonna say. So uh, who, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Uh, okay, well that was that was a fun little song. I'm glad. Thanks, Brian, for letting me uh, letting me play that. I, I do hope of we course. get to we get to finish that film. Now let's uh, let's uh, just tell the listeners. Of course, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we don't hear from you enough. We are like. well, you never write to us? You never call? Cool. Uh, no, you're. The- <laughs> You're so skinny. What? what you got to eat more food.
3: What are you doing? You're not eating enough.
2: My Jewish grandmother uh, and your Italian grandmother just got together and <laughs> ganged up on our audience. Uh, so uh, yes, please write to us at contact at dot com, and you can find all of our episodes at the world is wrong or at www dot dot com. We have two social media sort of. Uh, faces one on Instagram, and Brian, you pretty much handle the Instagram. Pretty much for the most part, yes. That's all, all me. Yeah, sometimes if you if you write to us privately, we may, you know, I one of uh, one of the other of us might respond on the DMs. But in general, uh, you're you're posting those. Uh, I'm doing all the editing and putting them all together for you. but uh, you're <laughs> you're writing what goes in there for the most part, and you're you're responsible for that content. and sure. uh, And then over in the ugly world of Twitter, that's what I get to <laughs> handle. Uh, so I'm over there <laughs> handling the Twitter account. If you see me liking or or putting out stuff that, uh, that's uh, that's movie related there you can know it's probably coming from me because brian doesn't want to have anything to do with twitter so it's a, it's a it's an
3: ugly ugly world that a i terrible don't place want anything you know, to do with yes. it's like i think of it as sort of like in beetlejuice when they leave the house and are in that desert planet with the sandworms that's
2: that's like twitter to me <laughs> well thanks for giving me that job i get all the fun stuff <laughs> You get to do all the nice pictures, and the, and I get the to get only... on and argue about the value of Adam McKay's political films. Uh, <laughs> do you like Adam McKay's political films? No? I love Adam McKay's political films. I've uh,
3: never seen Vice. I heard it's good.
2: Did you, did you see the big short?
3: Loved it. It's great.
2: Have you seen Margin Call?
3: No, I don't know what that is. Oh, if
2: you like The Big Short, you should also see Margin Call. It's a it's a great little it's a star studded film about the same sort of the same dynamic. Uh, Jeremy Irons is in it, and Kevin Spacey, and Demi Moore, and Paul Bettany, and yeah, it's on and on and on. It's just like yeah, it's a really yeah, it's if if you do anyway. uh, So. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, yes, Twitter I'm handling, Instagram you're handling, and you can find us. Uh, they're both. Let's see on. Uh, just look in the show notes. I don't even remember because it it's confusing. I know on Instagram we're at the World Is Wrong podcast, and on on Twitter we're something else.
3: I think it's like World Is Wrong Pod because there is already an at World Is Wrong, and that is definitely not us. Yes. So, <laughs> so don't don't bother those people about movies. They don't want to hear about it. So. <laughs>
2: In fact, if you're or not maybe, already on Twitter, don't don't even don't even go there. Uh, <laughs> but if you are, if you're if you're if you're addicted as 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 you can get on that, uh, that's where you can find us. <laughs> and next week we're going to have a special guest co-host, and we are going to be talking about the film Okja, a very Ooh. very very scary film from the director Bong Joon-ho and Jen Brown, your fellow Austinite will be joining yeah. us to Exciting. discuss this film. And uh, I got to tell you, it's a good episode I you can sit around for that. Great. So I guess that brings to a close our first entry in our month of wrongness, wrongtober. Thank you, Brian, for, uh, you know, for sniffing (laughs) this film up with me. (laughs) (laughs) Just marking my territory. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, it falls to me to remind you all that however much fun we've had here, the sad truth is that the world is still wrong. And wherever you are, it's probably wrong about you.
1: So so if a rich white boy had his fingers torn off, somebody would be in jail by now. I know. I don't know
0: anything about that. You're
1: going to have to call to town. Laura Alden for Detective Bridger. He's running behind. Can you sit down?
0: Here, my son take my seat.
1: No, that's all right. No, I want to stay
0: You don't know me, do you? I'm Stuart Swinton. No. I've been out to visit your father several times, but we never really met. I'm a very close friend of Will Randall. He's the husband. I know who he is. Who you've met? No, I just know the name. Ah. Now, this is such a terrible, terrible thing. I'm just in shock over it. Will Randall was... More than a friend and a colleague. He was my mentor. And you were his protege. Yes. A better word. It's a true pleasure. What an interesting scent you have, Miss At once new and familiar. Very familiar. Thank you. Were you bitten? What? Were you bitten? What an odd question. What a a very odd question. What made you ask such a question?
1: Uh, I don't know. People... When people are bitten, oftentimes it's on the hand.
0: What are you here for? I, um... They want some information about the publishing house, and I'm standing in for my father. George
1: Swinton!
0: Come on in. Would you have a drink with me when we're done here, Miss Alden? I'd really like to get to know you, and perhaps I could tell you a little bit about Will.
1: Thank you. That's very sweet. Of course. I'd love to. Now. Oh, I won't.
2: That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store.